years ago. John and Christy Kim are over here with their family. They live in Austin, Texas now. They were part of uh, Be Free in like 2013, 2014. Uh, and Christy is actually a lawyer. And when we moved from the, when Be Free was in the McConnell Center and moved to the mill space, Christy helped us like look at the contract that we were negotiating with the mill and was very helpful with that. And they're in town visiting here. And this is the first time they've ever been in the space, which is kind of cool. And they were part of our church many, many years ago. So it's fun to see them. Good to see you guys, John and Christy and your family. Um, just thought that was kind of cool. So we have been uh, through the summer, much of the summer, and I know people are in and out in the summer. Our family has been in and out of regular attendance of the, the worship gathering. Um, we've been looking at the Psalms and preaching through the Psalms, which is a book of, of poetry to God about God's character and who he is in the Old Testament. But today, we are, we are not going to talk about the Psalms. We're going to kind of just stop for a minute, and we're going to talk, look at a story from the life of Jesus and see what it means for our lives. My family has been in and out, as I just mentioned. We were recently, the last two plus weeks, we were working at a Young Life camp in Virginia. Young Life is a, an outreach to middle school and high school students, which we have locally and it's internationally as well. And I think, I, as an employee of Young Life, I can say Young Life's a, a cool organization that does a lot of things well. There's plenty of things we don't do well. But one thing that Young Life does well is we, we have centered our ministry on talking about the person of Jesus. And whether we have students who are involved who have never heard about Jesus, um, or they've only heard about him when someone like falls down in their football locker room and uses his name as a swear, we'd love to talk to those people about the person of Jesus. If we have people that have grown up in church and hear, know a lot about Jesus, we'd love to talk to those people about the person of Jesus. Because the, the founder of Young Life, a guy named Jim Rayburn, said Jesus is the most important the most influential and most attractive person who has ever lived, not attractive physically, but attractive like you would want to be around him. And he famously had this quote, it's a sin to bore someone with the gospel. It's a sin to bore someone with the life of Jesus Christ because he's that awesome and impressive. Um, so we're going to talk a little about Jesus. I wanted to put up two quotes about Jesus uh, to start off our time this morning. The first is a quote from Napoleon who said this about Jesus. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon is not known as a great figure of Christian living, okay? I don't, but at the end of his life, he wrote a lot of things about Jesus. It's hard to know what he really thought, but he was impressed with the person of Jesus, and that's an interesting quote from a person you don't normally hear talk about Jesus. Another person who had this quote about Jesus is John Flavel. I'm sure you all know him. He's not as well known as Napoleon. He was a Puritan writer, theologian, pastor, minister, something in the 16, somewhere between the 16 and 1800s. And he had this to say about Jesus. We'll put this quote up. Jesus Christ is the very essence of all delights and pleasures, the very soul and substance of them. 
All the rivers are gathered into the ocean, which is the congregation or meeting place of all waters in the world. So Christ is that ocean in which all true delights and pleasures meet. His excellencies are pure and unmixed. He is a sea of sweetness without one drop of gall. Sort of written in like old-timey language, but John Flavel is making a bold claim that all, every human's source of joy originates and flows towards the person of Jesus. Like in the way that water, I think, all fl- water flows to a source. Like, the, like my little human joy actually is flowing to the person of Jesus. That's sort of a bold claim. I don't know that I personally always live or believe that, but Flavel, who really loved Jesus, is saying like Jesus is, is the source of all our joy. Our joy in life like meets its most full, full picture in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a cool opportunity. I sat around a table with people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who had all, they were talking about, they were passionate about reaching the next generation in New England. And they said, youth ministry in New England stinks. Why are we going to make it better? So they were gathering people together to talk about it. But these people, many of them had actually met Jesus uh, when they were in their teenage years. And they're saying, these are such formative years. We have to really reach people for Jesus. And this one guy who was about maybe 80 years old said this. He said, when I first heard someone talk about Jesus in a way I understood, he said, it was like the person of Jesus walked off the pages of Scripture and into my life. And wouldn't that be great if even just today, for a few minutes, Jesus could walk out of the pages of Scripture and into our lives? So let me pray for that, and then we'll look at this cool story and see what it has to say for our lives. Father, thank you for this new day. Um, Thanks for summer and the different rhythms of rest and relaxation that we have. I thank you for people who are away on vacation, and we pray a blessing on people in our church family who are traveling and We pray for rest for them. We um, thank you for the chance to gather and even on a hot day be in an air-conditioned space. Thank you for the chance to sing and use our bodies to worship you through singing and and interacting with each other. Thank you for revealing yourself um, by coming to earth as a man so we can identify with you more and so you could redeem us. We pray that as we look at this story about your life, Jesus, that you would you'd walk off the pages of scripture and into our lives and into the weeks that we have ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna look at uh, a story about Jesus from the book of John, chapter two, verses one through 11. If you have a copy of the scriptures or a cellular device with a copy of the scriptures on it, open it up, that would be great. We'll also have the passage up here, um, but we're gonna read, we're gonna look at John two, one through 11. I'm going to read it, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about it, okay? So why don't we stand up while we read, while I read this story. So if you have a copy of the Bible, read along. If not, it should be over my shoulder here. John 2, 1 through 11. All right, here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, 
each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. You can go ahead and have a seat. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for your word, Jesus, and I pray you would open our eyes to what's in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, okay, here's what I want to do. Just look at this, this story. This is the first recorded miracle that Jesus performs, and I want to look at two questions. What do we learn about Jesus? Number one, what do we learn about Jesus? Number two, what does it mean for our lives? Those are the questions. Um, I think they're good questions to look at when we look especially at the person of Jesus in the Bible. But a few things, I think you could spend a lot of time thinking about the things you might learn from Jesus from this story, but I'll just tell you a few that I thought of as I looked at it. Number one, Jesus was invited to a party. Um, these people held a wedding feast, okay? In this day and age, in like the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, apparently weddings were a big deal. They lasted at least two to three days, maybe longer. They were huge festivals. You invited a lot of people. There was many rounds of, of dinner and toasts. It was a very, very long like process, I guess. Um, and Jesus was invited to it. It appears that Jesus did normal human things, did and had friends, and, w and when people got to, did an important event like a wedding, they were like, Jesus, we would like Jesus to be there. That's, that's cool, I think. You know, like Jesus is God in the flesh, but he's not boring, irrelevant, or judgmental. Like when people have a wedding, they think, I'd like Jesus to be there. That's kind of cool. I think that means something that, he, that people would want him to be invited to a party. So Jesus was invited to a party. Number two, Jesus is mysterious. I think this passage has some sort of weird things in it. Okay, so if you look at verse three, at this party, this wedding, the wine runs out. We'll talk about that in a minute, like what that would have meant um, for the people hosting this, this wedding. The wine runs out, and then Jesus' mother says to Jesus, they have no more wine in verse three, and Jesus says this kind of weird thing to her in verse four. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Well, maybe because you're the son of God, Jesus, but why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It's like an odd thing to say, kind of. It could come across as rude or aloof. Um, and also, apparently, Jesus, it, it appears that he's telling Mary, his mother, that he's not going to do anything about the situation, and then, in fact, he does go and do something about the situation. So there's a little bit of, like, it just feels a little strange, I think, honestly. Um, it's worth noting, too, that when Jesus says, it says, my time has not yet come. In the NIV, it says time. Another way to translate the word time is hour, where Jesus could say, my hour has not yet come. And actually, like, if you read through John, Jesus talks about his hour many times. And when he says his hour, he's really referring to his death on the cross, most likely. 
Um, so he kind of knows once he does this miracle, this is his first miracle, he sort of like the clock starts ticking to the cross, to his death. And so there's an element of he's, he's sort of weighing the cost of like, once I do this miracle, uh, like my life starts moving towards the cross, which it already has been. Um, but I, I frankly read this and think like, I don't, like, I wish Jesus wasn't so mysterious sometimes. Like, I would like in my life to be able to ask Jesus to do anything I want and him to do it. That's what I would like. But you know what that means is, frankly, I would like to be God. That's, that's kind of what that means. And I'm not God, and when God walked around on this earth, he said and did mysterious things, apparently, because he did them right here. Um, so Jesus was invited to the party. He was mysterious. Number three, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Here's what I mean by that, okay? The miracle happens. We'll talk a, a little bit more about how the miracle, like the logistics of the miracle happened. But Jesus takes ordinary water and makes extraordinary wine. That's what happens in this miracle. Jesus takes the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. The water that was used to be transformed into wine was in, it was put in jars that were used for ceremonial washing. That probably means jars that people use to clean their, their feet, their extremities, like to clean dirt off of themselves so they could be pure according to the Jewish religious system and participate in sort of like religious rites. So the water is not only ordinary, it's probably gross. Like, you ever like, uh, there's a person, I won't say their name, but this person does live in our home and sometimes their feet smell. And so we're like, hey, why don't you take your socks off and go like wash them out in the water? Like go wash your feet in the tub. But like, it's like you run water in the tub and someone's just washed their dirty feet. Like it's like that kind of water, I think. It's more like that kind of water that Jesus is working with than just, you know, just water like out of the sink. Um, but in the hands of Jesus, this like ordinary substance becomes something really special. Um, and at the end of the passage in verse 10, the master of the banquet, he says it's the best wine. He says it's the best. Like this is, this is better than the stuff we had to start the party. Um, and I think my, like my life I know can feel like dirty water a lot of the time. Um, but I, I know like when our lives are offered to Jesus, he can make something great about it. Like do something good with them. Um, so as I said earlier, it's sort of like Jesus is better. He produces something better than the ordinary stuff of life. I think it's interesting um, to see how John describes the miracle. Like look at verse 11. John uses a word, John the author of the book, uses a word to describe the miracle. What is it? Someone tell me. What's the word that John uses to describe the miracle? He doesn't say miracle. He, well, he says miraculous, but what's the word he uses? Sign. He says he calls it a sign. John calls the, the miracle that where Jesus takes ordinary water and makes it into good wine, he, he calls it a sign. Um, I think it's interesting that it's called a sign, Okay. Because a sign, in general, is like something pointing to something else, right? Like a sign points you somewhere, okay? So like our family went to uh, Logan Airport yesterday, and about 15, 20 miles before we got to Logan, we started seeing signs pointing us to Logan Airport, Logan Airport this way. The sign wasn't the destination. The sign was like pointing us towards where we were trying to go. So 
The miracle of Jesus turning water into wine isn't the end goal, it's a sign pointing like to who he really is. Jesus' main goal is not really to do physical miracles or to transform water into wine. His main goal is to reveal God to us and then to die and save us from sin and come back to life and offer us true life. That's his main goal. Um, and I think it could be like, you know, tempting to look at the passage and think the extraordinary thing is the wine. The extraordinary thing is the wine, but it's really Jesus. The sign is pointing to Jesus himself. And I think I know my tendency is to want the wine that Jesus can give me, so to speak, the things Jesus can give me, but not Jesus himself. Jesus is better than anything you could give your lives to. Jesus is better than our small and shallow dreams. He's better than the suffering you experience. Jesus is better. So what do you learn from, about Jesus from the passage? Pro probably a lot more than that, what we just talked about. Um, but here's some questions for you, okay? Like, do you, um, do you think of Jesus as someone you'd invite to a party? Do you think if G when Jesus is mysterious in your life, what does that do to you? Like when God is mysterious or you can't quite figure it out, does, he, does that push you further away from him or closer to him? And do you believe Jesus is better? So let me, let me just look at a few applications for our lives. We think Jesus is better. We look at this and learn some things about Jesus, but what does it mean for our lives? A few things, okay? Number one, I think we see in this passage that Mary, his mother, provides us with a model for prayer. Um, there's a big need that happens in this story, okay? And Mary expresses it. The need is that they've run out of wine at this, like, long two to five day, like, banquet thing that they have, right? Okay? Um, that it would be a humiliating situation for the people hosting the banquet that they had run out of wine. Embarrassing. Like a, like a modern day equivalent would be like, you're gonna throw a wedding for your, your child, okay? And you, you ran out of, it's a great uh, venue, you have a band, you have a huge dinner, you have hundreds of people there, you have this great party, and then at the end you go to pay for it and your credit card is declined and you can't pay for it. And so then you have to actually go around to all the guests you've just invited and be like, oh, hey, I'm, did you like this wedding? Great, do you think you could like pay 200 bucks for the night that you just had? And then you, hey, did you have fun at this? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's an exact equivalent, but that would be a humiliating experience if you invited all those people to the wedding and at the end you actually had to ask them to pay for the wedding. Similarly, if, if you were hosting this, this big long event in that day and age and then you didn't have the wine to sort of back up like the toasts and all that was going on, it would have been like a humiliating event. So somehow Mary, Jesus' mother, is connected to this. Um, and Mary knows it's a big need. So she goes to Jesus and her, like, it's great. Verse three, she just says to Jesus, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. I don't, I don't, it's not a prayer, but she is talking to Jesus and prayer is talking to God. So like, but Mary doesn't direct Jesus. Mary doesn't counsel Jesus. Mary doesn't lead Jesus. She just tells him the need and like gives it to him. Here you go, Jesus. They have no more wine. Now I will say, there are a lot of types of prayers in the Bible. There are prayers where people direct God or ask God for something very specific, but this model of, of talking to Jesus has been sort of helpful to me as I read about what Mary did here. She just lays the need before Jesus 
and then lets him do with it what he will. They have no more wine. Jesus, I'm frustrated that I'm not married. Jesus, I'm really angry today. Jesus, I don't like my church today. Jesus, I'm really, I, the anxious thoughts are back today. Jesus, I'm, I, I don't know how I'm going to raise these kids today. Like, what would it mean to just give Jesus, like, that need and just say, hey, here, here it is. They have no more wine. Um, so there's a model of prayer. There's also two models of faithful obedience, okay, in this story. The first is Mary's faithfulness. There's two people that, two groups of people that are very faithful in this story. The first is Mary, um, because we just talked about how she, like, laid this request before Jesus. They have no more wine. He's mysterious. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And then Mary does this. Verse 5. It's great. His mother, Mary, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary's, like, killing it in this story, okay? She's, like, given one sentence, like, things that are just, like, they have no more wine. Do whatever he tells you. Like, that's, like, what if I just live my life like I do whatever Jesus tells me? Now, it's a, I, Jesus was physically walking around. He could instruct people. I know it's different. Like, there, there's a lot of, but what if that was our motto? Like, I want to do whatever Jesus tells me. Um, it's great. It's like just a model of faithful obedience. She gets this mysterious response from Jesus, and she's not mad. She doesn't push back. She just, like, goes to the servant and says, hey, we're going to do whatever he says. Oh, that's so faithful. It's so obedient. That's great. Then, it's really faithful what the servants do, okay? So this is how the miracle, like, actually logistically happens, all right? Is um, he asks the servants at the banquet, we don't know how many there are, it's not listed, to um, fill up six stone water jars with water. Each jar holds 20 to 30 gallons. Um, this would have been heavy and hard, okay? Hey, Luke, come up here for a minute. Come up here. I want you to do something. Come up on stage with me. This is Luke Dean. He's a very strapping young lad. Come on up here. Luke, j just try to pick up this, pick that thing up, okay? Okay, how does it feel? Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Would you like to carry it around? No. Not really. No. Okay, you can put that down. Thanks, Luke. Let's give Luke a round of applause. He did a nice job. That was very nice. Okay. All right. Luke picked up a, that is a five-gallon water cooler that Luke just picked up. Okay, five gallons. The things that the servants were filling was 20 to 30 gallons, each one, like four or five times as heavy as that. Um, and Jesus asks them to fill them up. Um, we know that it was a lot of water. We know that. We don't know where they got the water from. They did not, I don't think there was running water in this time, okay? Like, there may have been literally a well right next to where the water, like, there may have been a well right there. They may have had to walk to a well. They may have had to go to a stream. We don't really know where they got the water from. But it took me at least a few minutes this morning with running water coming out of my house with a hose to fill up this thing with five gallons of water in 2022. And it was hot out there, so I was like, man, this stinks. You know? But like, if you were a servant, 
in the Middle East in this time, I don't know where, like it would not have been an easy task probably to fill up six jars with 20, 30 gallons of water. It would have been heavy on some level. They may have had to walk a mile. They may have had to like not walk at all. We don't know, but it still would have been hard. Um, and it probably wasn't super fun. Like the fifth time they had to fill up the jar, like it's like this is getting kind of old. Like, couldn't you just snap your fingers, Jesus, and make wine? Probably. Like, I don't know why he couldn't have done that. But he chose to do this. Chose to do it this way. And here's a, what's cool about the servants. It's like this crazy thing in uh, verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. They filled them all the way up. They didn't skimp. The hero of the story is Jesus, but the servants, like, they, they went all out in this thing. And I think there's things that Jesus asks us to do that are like this, that aren't fun, that are sort of hard. I think about uh, Jim gave the announcement. He said, hey, we need two volunteers for DIG, okay? Sometimes maybe like, oh, I got a volunteer in DIG. Maybe that feels like it's like your fourth jar of water. I'm, DIG is awesome. It's so great. It, it's like amazing, okay? It's like the best thing you could do with your time. But there are, there are things we do in the life of this church that are like, hey, like, yeah, like, I got to go serve and dig today. I'm tired. I don't really want to go to church. I got to get up early to make the coffee. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, yeah, it's like filling the jar for the third time, kind of. Um, and we do, we do have a need for two people to serve and, do, and dig. We do have a need... Um, I, I do think we should have more men serving in DIG. I think that's an awesome place for men to serve. As Jim said, there's a, there's a lot of guys that serve in DIG. It's awesome. But when, we, when you hear like, oh, DIG volunteers, some women should fill that. Eh, wrong. It would be great if some women filled it, but let's get some men up there. Let's get equal reps. You know what I'm saying? So like, anyways, but like, so like there, there's plenty of places. And I think a lot of things in your life, my life, frankly, feels like, oh, I got to fill up the water jar again, you know? Um, but I think it's sort of like our world sort of teaches us and teaches me, like, the goal is fulfillment. Like, I want to be fulfilled. Like, I want to, like, I will do something that makes me feel really fulfilled. But Jesus' goal in this is obedience. And that is different. It doesn't mean you couldn't be fulfilled when you do obedience. But these servants weren't, like, living their best life or like hashtag winning when they were doing this servant water jar thing. It was probably like, yeah, this kind of sucks. You know? Um, but it's a really great model of, of faithful obedience. Um, so here's, here's some thoughts as we conclude. Is uh, Jesus is extraordinary. We're kind of ordinary. Jesus is the best wine. We're kind of like dirty water. Jesus is the one who knows time. He knows how it's all going to play out. We're kind of like the ones who throw a party and run out of wine. But for some reason, Jesus wants to use us to accomplish his goals in the world. For some reason, he wanted to use these servants to make the wine. He did not. He didn't have to. Um... Do you know, like, G Jesus, God's plan for reaching the world, okay, I think, this is like God's plan for reaching the world. I want to reach humanity with my message. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to come to earth as Jesus. 
I'm going to walk around for three years. I'm going to gather a bunch of people around me. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. That's going to be very important. All these people I've gathered, when I die, they're going to abandon me, betray me, and deny me. Then I'm going to come back to life. Yes, I'm back to life. Now my plan's really working. But I, 40 days later, I'm going back up into heaven, and I'm going to leave my message with these people that just abandoned me, denied me, and betrayed me. Let me tell you what that is. A bad plan. That is a bad plan. It worked. It worked. Those people that betrayed Jesus and were ordinary people who had no courage, were sinful people, they started spreading that message around Jerusalem. And they started telling people around Israel. And they started getting persecuted. And life was hard, but they were obedient. And they kept spreading out around around Israel, and they, they went over into Turkey and crossed like a cultural barrier with Paul, and they went into Asia and Italy and started telling people about Jesus, and then they went down into Africa and crossed ethnic barriers and language barriers and started telling people about Jesus, and they pushed over into India and modern-day China and more into Europe, and this message started going, and eventually it got across the Atlantic to where we sit today. Like, Jesus says, go and spread my message to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. This is Dover, New Hampshire is the ends of the earth from Jerusalem in Israel. And somehow the message got to us. Not because those people are awesome, but because Jesus, the message of Jesus is really powerful. And for some reason, he chose to involve those people to spread his message in the same way that he chose to involve these servants to make water into wine, although he didn't have to. The other thing about the plan is that the Holy Spirit empowered it, which was a very helpful part of the plan. But um, the point is Jesus wants to use you because he's great. Let me close, I'll close with this story, okay, is I am, um, I'm, I'm pretty bad at cooking. I don't really like to do it. I'm not good at it, but I make some really good pancakes, okay? Um, and I'm really humble about the pancakes I make, but they're pretty good. Uh, and on Saturday mornings, frequently, I'll, like, I'll make pancakes. And then our children of various ages will sometimes want to help make the pancakes, okay? Let me tell you, when one of our kids helps make the pancakes, it takes three to eight times longer. Someone gets burned. There's flour all over the floor. Um, I'm a little grumpy sometimes. The pancakes are made. And then our kids are like, hey, we made the pancakes. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I made the freaking pancakes, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, God doesn't need you to fulfill his purposes in the world. God doesn't need Be Free Church to fulfill his purposes in the world. In fact, I'm pretty sure when we are working with God, we're getting burned, spilling flour, but he loves using us. He, want, he wants to use us. And so we're like, look at this church. And God's like, I built the freaking church, okay? Um, not to belittle us, and, but I think he's also like, hey, I'm so glad I'm using Be Free Church. That's awesome. But someday, like, you know, when, when did Be Free Church start? 09, 06, whatever it was. Like, it's not like, the kingdom of God was doing fine before Be Free Church came around, right? It's not like God was like, whoo, we got Be Free Dover, now we can really start moving. Um, and someday Be Free Church will end. 
whether it just ends or like whether it's when Jesus comes back, um, the kingdom of God will keep going. But for this season, he's going to use us to fulfill it. And that could be making coffee. It could be serving and dig. It could be sharing Jesus with your neighbor. It could be in a lot of ways. But Jesus is like using you because he's better and he's, he's great and he wants to use you to bring other people to him. And he wants to use our church to reach Dover and the seacoast and the ends of the earth. So just a few questions as we close um, would be, where does Jesus want to use you in this church and in your life? Where does Jesus want to use you? What is, what is your version of filling up the water jar? There, many of you, many of us are, are already doing that, actively filling up water jars in a lot of different ways. Where does God want to use you to fill up the water jar? Um, and do you believe that Jesus is better? Like, do I believe that? Do I believe Jesus is better? Or do I just want, like, my own version of the American dream? And I think that the answer, I have to wrestle with that, but I think that, like, ultimately Jesus is trying to say, like, anything that happens here in this miracle is a sign pointing to my reality, my death and resurrection, and eternal life for you. So, let's fill up some water jars, people. Let me pray for us. Thanks, uh, God, for this beautiful miracle. Thanks that you came to earth, that you were invited to a party. People wanted to be around you. Thanks that even in your mystery, um, you have a plan. A plan to rescue this uh, embarrassing situation and provide great wine, but also a plan to rescue us from sin and give us eternal life with you. Thank you that you are better than anything else we could give our lives to. I pray for um, the future of our church and our lives. I pray that we would be people that, that want to fill up water jars um, because you've asked us to, but also because it's, it's how you are building your kingdom. And someone filled up a water jar so we could experience you. And I pray that um, we'd be able to share this great message with people here in Dover, around the seacoast and to the ends of the world that you're, that you're better and you're great. Thanks for taking the ordinary and making an extraordinary Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.